millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart, and for the last 40 years, I've interviewed thousands of veterans. Oh, give it a rest. You're under new management. It's Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast now. Hello, and welcome to Pete and Gary's Military History Sausage. And uh, what, 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 what have we got on the... Re- what, what, what have we got today, Gary? Today, Pete, we've got Ball on the Somme. Ball on the Somme? Does that go with Somme success? <laughs> yeah, I'm um, surprised you haven't called this Somme success. You've called everything else Somme success. It's uh, oh, product why? placement, I think they call that. Now, what's happened is that, uh, yeah, uh, rather a lot on the First World War, rather a lot on First World War aviation in, in the next few weeks. We've just gone mad on it. And uh, while we were doing some success, we were attracted to, well, let's be honest, Gary, you were attracted to the personality and the career of Albert Ball, were you? I'm just attracted to balls. <laughs> that may be one of the rare cuts that Matt makes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and to be fair, Pete, this is the, the the stuff that we're doing about the air war is is uh, it's because people have been asking us to do it, haven't they? We've had a number of requests, mostly to to go away, but some of them uh, were... stop stop doing accents. <laughs> some of them were about a rather uh, the air harsh war. one to stop breathing. I thought that was a little <laughs> a little over the top. Yeah, but Janet can be like that. Yeah, she can, she can, she can, she can, she can. Right, so so tell me a bit about Albert Ball. Set the background for me. Well, he was born in Nottingham on the 10th of January 1898. Oh. Oh. Yeah, we know lots of people that are coming from Nottingham. It seems, seems, uh, it seems the place to come from. It's and it's not the... just that, it's the date, Gary, the date. Oh, he, yes, uh, he's born on the 10th of January. What's... Uh, What's your birth date, Pete? The 10th of January, 1915. Just 17 years after him. Wow. Wow. You've aged well. I have aged well. I've aged beautifully. Uh, So who is he? Who is he? Who, who, who is he? Who is he? He's the son of a wealthy businessman. Uh, I think actually was, I think he was Lord Mayor for a while of Nottingham. Well, he was 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 certainly prominent in local politics. That's true. He was a big knob. He was a big knob. (laughs) Um, now, Ball was academically undistinguished. 
he had a he had a bit of a mechanical bent, which he he fully indulged in a variety of boyish hobbies. Oh, I had a variety of boyish hobbies uh, yes. before before leaving school in 1913, uh, when he took up a position in an engineering firm. Now, on the outbreak of war, he answered the call and he enlisted in the ranks of the. Uh, uh, 2nd, 7th Sherwood Foresters on the 21st of September 1914. So he was in there right from the beginning. So I'll make him about six, 16 then. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, take two, carry one, divide by that's three. 16, yeah. Is that mm. right? Mm. Yeah, it well, looks right. I wonder if that's right. <laughs> we haven't done... I want to say that with this, this podcast is concentrating on his career as a pilot. So this is just a quick scurry through. Uh, his background. There are some excellent books, but I think Chaz Bayer wrote one. If you Google uh, Albert Ball or indeed Alan Ball, you'll get lots of interesting results. Um, now, uh, so what? So, so there, he's commissioned almost immediately as a second lieutenant, and he's seconded to a cyclist unit. Uh, but he's he's anxious to get to the front. So, what does he do, Gary? What? What? what well, he what pays for some private flying instruction, so the that uh, his chances increase of getting to, into the ever-expanding RFC. Now, he passes the Royal... So, hang on, Royal, Royal Flight... So, the, so he wants to get in the Royal Flight Guard. Is that, is that for excitement and because of the mechanical bent, so to speak, do you think? What, what's going on there? I think that's a little bit of both. He wants, he wants to get to the, the front, he wants to be in the action, but he, he absolutely has this um, uh, skill with mechanics uh, and that he wants to put to the test. Now, he passes the Royal Aero Club's pilot's examination and he's transferred to the RFC for further training with 9th Reserve Squadron. Uh, and he gets a, a final polish <laughs> at the uh, Central Flying School, where where all pilots are polished. I believe a lot of them get a final polish there, yes. Good Lord. <laughs> I like the idea of the pilots all being polished. I would have been one of the polishers. Yes, I can imagine, yeah. Polisher? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear me. Now, after, after a brief interlude with 22 Squadron at Gosport, Ball's posted out to France and he joins the 13th Squadron flying B2Cs on the 18th of February 1916. So it looks like that date might be about right, Pete, because he's, yeah. he's certainly in France from 1916. Yeah, yeah 18. Right, now tell me, uh, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Uh, let's see, let's a bit of a test of your memory. What's the B2C like then? Is it uh, a great aeroplane? What, what's its main, uh, what's its main feature, would you say? Flapping wings. That is entirely and utterly wrong. <laughs> it's very stable. It's very stable. It's designed, uh, well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's designed to, to aid observation and photography isn't it so it's a very stable platform i think is how it's described good for flinging about the sky should you uh, be attacked by a fokker of some description no but it's very good for flinging about the floor <laughs> after afterwards <laughs> after you've met a fokker yes <laughs> you'll yes. find it yeah so uh it's uh it, it's a strange machine. I often say it's the most effective killing machine in the Great War, but killing by means of the wireless transmitter linking it to the artillery. And before we go any further, both of us want to make the point that it's the uh, the the core squadron pilots, uh, like flying the BTCs and such like, that are the unsung heroes of the war. 
the fact that this podcast is about Albert Ball uh, doesn't uh, remove our uh, our uh, our acknowledgement of the importance of artillery observation and photographic reconnaissance. So we, that's just we, before we go on. And we've made that point a number of times, Peter, haven't we? We have. It's... In fact, people keep saying, will you stop making that bloody point, you pair of boring sods? Notice I'll put the word sods in after your little lecture about swearing. Now, at 13 Squadron, he's engaged in the normal duties of a core squadron pilot, although he took every chance he could to fly the attached Bristol Scout. So he's... he's He's anxious there to get into the the uh, uh, the scouts from from day one, really. Now his potential, a bit like me, really. His potential may well have been recognised as on the seventh of May. Hang on, hang on. That's your birthday. That's my birthday, and remember that date, Pete, the seventh of May. Well, he was to transferred. It for about a month, <laughs> he was transferred to Eleven Squadron who were in the process of forming a, a flight of Bristol and Newport Scouts. Now, they they originally had the, the Vickers machines, I think, uh, colloquially referred to as the gun bus. Now, 11 Squadron was established at Netherhaven in 1915, and I went there with a, a very good friend of ours uh, a couple of years ago, actually, about three or four years ago. So it, it was still there, although not operational. Well, the mess is very interesting, the Royal Flying Corps uh, original mess. Yeah, it's great. Now, 11 Squadron, they're, they're forming a flight of Bristol and Newport Scouts, aren't they? And these two, uh, we'll come back to the Newport. They're, they're both basically uh, single-seaters uh, with the uh, machine gun. Well, in, in Lano Hawker's time, it was just stuck on the side, pointing out at an angle, but usually on the top wing. Uh, well, let, let's let's concentrate on the Newport Scout, because that's the one that becomes most linked with his name. Okay, so that's a, a single-seater, as it's a scout, it's a tractor biplane. What's a tractor? Let's test you on that. Is it a big thing in the field when when applied to aviation, or is it something else, Gary? No, that's the propellers in front of the the pilot, and and it's effectively pulling the plane along rather than a pusher where it's behind the pilot. Now it's a powerful machine for its time. It's got a hundred and ten horsepower Larone engine, and it can get up to a hundred and ten mile per hour. I'm not sure about that. Uh, that sounds like that sounds uh, an, very high. An op- an optimistic uh, speed, uh, with a service ceiling of 15,000 feet. Uh, uh, it's superior, really, in every respect to the Fokker, except for one thing. What's that, Gary? That'll be the armament, Pete. Yeah. All it's got is a single fixed forward-firing Lewis gun on the wing, the, the top of the wing, above the, in essence, above the pilot's head. How many uh, rounds in a Lewis gun, Pete? 47. I don't know why you ask an acknowledged aviation historian who's been had it hammered into him over the last two weeks <laughs> and has written it down in his notes. <laughs> 47 rounds. Uh, how does this work? Does he stand up uh, in, the, in the seat? No. What he does is it's got a, a, a wire coming down and there's a sort of, it's a Bowden wire grip on the joystick to the Lewis gun. So he doesn't have to stand up to fire it. He just sits down and he fires it by using the Bowden grip on the joystick. Now, this is still dodging the central requirement for a synchronised gun, isn't it? Because it's directing its fire above the span of the propeller. Yeah, it's, uh, well, well, the British, uh, with the exception of Sop with one and a half strutter, the, the, my favourite name ever. <laughs> Try and work it into everything. Hey, Sop with one and a half strutter, what a machine. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, um, it, it, it's dodging the main issue. And the French had very kindly... Uh, made some of the Newport uh, 16s available to the British. 
uh, and they doled them out at first. But remember, there's no such thing originally as scout squadrons. Uh, they they, they do, dole them out to the scout pilots attached to the reconnaissance squadrons, uh, except for 11 squadron. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, so uh, Second Lieutenant Albert Ball, he begins his remarkable career on a, uh, 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 as a scout pilot uh, with an unconfirmed first victory fly, flying a Bristol scout above Givenchy on the 16th of May. And you're, we're going to take it in turns. Well, not in turns. We do have groups together. Uh, and you're going to be, for the start, Second Lieutenant Albert Ball. What does he say about his first pute- uh, victory? I was on patrol yesterday morning on my British scout. I was at 12,000 feet and saw a Hun at 5,000. It started off and I went after it, catching it up when 20 miles over its own lines. It took 120 shots to do it in. But in the end, it went down, upside down. That's interesting. 120 shots. He doesn't take that many later on in his career. So, But everybody has to gain experience. In fact, if you want to kill someone in the air, it's best to catch them before they've got used to it, isn't it? Uh, experience really counts. Now, as a scout pilot of uh, with 11 Squadron, it's, it's Ball's role to protect the slower, vulnerable reconnaissance machine as they, they trundle up and down the, the, on the battlefield. Uh, and to... Uh, and to and also to engage in offensive patrols to seek out and destroy German aircraft, wherever, wherever they may be found. Uh, and he gradually builds up experience, and within sort of like a couple of weeks, he's in a series of combats. And on 29th of May, he's in four uh, combats, just one after the other in, a, in that single day. Uh, t- take us through that, Gary. I had four oh. flights in one patrol on my Newport and came off top in every fight. Four Fockers and an LVG attacked me about 12 miles over the lines. I forced the LVG down with a drum and a half, after which I zoomed up after the Fockers. They ran away at once. Out of all the fights, I only got about eight shots into my machine. One just missed my back and hit the strut. However, on my way back, the Hun Archie guns hit the tail of my machine and took a piece away. But I got back and have now got a new tail. The other fights were with albatross machines. General Higgins sent for me on landing and was very pleased. That's the brigadier. Uh, interesting. Uh, just to two points. Archie, as you remember, is Archie. Certainly not is a uh, German uh, uh, anti-aircraft guns, and uh, the albatross machines are not the albatross scouts. They're the albatross reconnaissance machines from the time. Uh, now, twenty-fifth of June, they're planning to launch. Uh, uh, a simultaneous coordinate. They're building up to the Battle of the Somme. Of course they are. And they, they, they plan to launch a simultaneous coordinated attack on every German observation balloon all along the British front. Uh, they're eyes in the sky, aren't they? Uh, it's obvious that they need to put them out, so to speak, just before the big offensive, the big push. Um now, now uh, 20 squadrons sent with a group of aircraft with phosphorus bombs to try and set fire to them. They haven't really got the hang of a lot of this. Uh, but when the rails finally get off the crowds, low crowds uh, hamper the, 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 the attack. Uh, on, on, I think there's 23 German kite balloons are, are supposed to be in the air. And our ball takes part in these attacks. Uh, he just got back from leave, actually, obviously well earned. And, and he says this uh, um, uh, about what, the, what happened that day. 25th of June. So take us through it, Albert. Oh, it was rotten, for I only just got back. Three of us were sent from this squadron. 
The first time we did no good, so I asked for another chance. We all set out again. I went for my balloon and set it on fire, but my engine was badly hit and I had to come back all the eight miles over Hunland at half speed and only a few feet up. My machine was hit badly. I've enclosed one of the bullets. This bullet went through my induction pipe, engine bearer plate and three inches of wood. Not so bad, is it? The other chaps were not very successful. One crashed his machine and the other did no good. The other four balloons were brought down by other squadrons. Five were brought down by the RFC. About 100 machines went up for different balloons, so I think five is quite a good average for such a rotten job. You see, we had to get so low. It's not just that. The the balloons were defended by quite a lot of German machine guns and, and these weird anti-aircraft guns that fired things called green onions. <laughs> the, yeah, green onions. Uh, well, they could uh, play havoc with your insides going. <laughs> oh, it's hell in there. Um, so 27th, 28th of June, there's a thick mist all over the Somme area, the Somme Valley in particular, you know, the river where the river is. Uh, and then there's a, a showery rain and heavy cloud, and most patrols are cancelled. But Ball is very keen. And this is something you wanted to make clear. Ball is razor keen, isn't he, at all times. He, he wants to get up there. Uh, and uh, it's clear that his training as a core pilot, as a reconnaissance pilot and the rest of it, isn't va- wasted. Because as he's flying, he's keeping his eyes peeled for significant developments on the ground. So what does he see? I was on the 7 o'clock patrol today, and on my patrol, I saw over the lines a lot of transports, etc., in a wood. I went over the lines in order to have a good look, so that I could report the place. But the old Huns did not like it. They surrounded us with shells from their archie guns, and at last we were hit. One of my cylinders was smashed off. Also, the machine got a few through it. One only just missed my leg. However, the engine stopped, but I saw what I went to see. Now, this bad weather is severely impacting on on the the, uh, preparations for the Somme, the artillery observation, uh, which is key to the Somme battle. Uh, it, it, it does cause trouble. Uh, they're also, the, the, the duties are, are innumerable. They're also making bombing raids. Now, bombing raids, they're, they're sort of primitive interdiction and, and uh, raids on, on, on uh, particular things. They're not very effective because the bombs aren't very effective. But on 30th of June, he's acting as an escort. What does he say? Yesterday, we did two bombing raids. On the first one, I had to lead for the wing commander... Excuse me, had to land owing to engine trouble. It was great sport as 30 machines went. On the second, it was more sport still. Three Fockers came for us, but we did the job okay and set the place on fire. However, you will think I am a very bloodthirsty chap just now, but I'm not really. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> um, now, the, the, the thing is... Uh... These Newport scout pilots, people like Ball, they've, they've got uh, they offensive patrols, escort work. They've got uh, what? What do you think builds up? What could happen to the average young chap? Key, razor keen or not? What's what's building up, Gary? Well, it, the stress is unremitting, isn't it, Pete? So they, they'd start to show some of the signs of the strain that they're under. Yeah, and and this is the, what the things we're quoting from are from his letters of the time, and this is one of the letters he wrote to his family at this time. The three Newport machines stand from two thirty a.m. until nine thirty at night, so you bet we're getting a rotten time just now. However, things are looking good just now, so we might all help and keep things going at any cost. 
but it is a long day and I'm afraid that if it lasts very long, a few of the chaps will be going sick. I'm okay, but all so fagged. However, I shall soon get over that. Now, uh, he's getting some notification. I mean, people are noticing him by, by this time. 29th of June, he gets the military cross is awarded to him. Um, during this period, we did a whole thing on the Battle of the Somme, so we're not going to hammer this home, but the RFC's got a, a, a real uh, numerical and qualitative superiority established over, over the Somme battlefields. Um, the arrival of a whole new generation of, uh, of aircraft is really helping. Uh, it doesn't affect Ball much because he's in the Newport Scout, but the DH-2s, the FE-2Bs, uh, the Sopwith one and a half strutters, uh, they're all arriving and, and they give an aerial supremacy just when it really counts, uh, just when the offensive is, is going to happen. Um, and, and although... The staff officers and generals always want more, don't they? But do you think they got what they could expect? Do you think that the RFC performed well? Yeah, I think you know you've got you've got to think about um, Trenchard's aggressive aggressive strategy. They were out there all the time, come what may, and basically they provided all the photographs that could reasonably be expected of the German trenches, for example, the reserve lines and the strong points. Many of the German batteries had been engaged or their positions registered. The German reserve troops had been harassed by the bombing of their billets and the crucial rail routes to the battlefield had been disrupted in the later stages. No German aircraft had been able to cross the British front line to expose the details of the offensive preparations to the German high command. Trenchard could be rightly proud of his men. Oh, and I think he was. Uh, was there a bit of a let-up after the 1st of July then? No, absolutely not. I mean, the missions still had to be flown every day and, and the schedules are real strain, even for the bravest of the brave. Those that managed to survive were kept going by a sort of muddled mixture of motives in which a sense of duty mingled with the desire not to let down their mates or expose themselves to ridicule. And as the pressure mounted, their, their youthful resilience was tested to the absolute limit. Now, because it's used the words youthful resilience, you're now going to be Second <laughs> Lieutenant Albert Ball. Well, we've got to change voices, haven't we, every so often. And this is Albert Ball writing about, about this sort of situation. Uh, some of the expressions are a bit public schooly, um, but but I'm going to read it as it is. I'm going to read it straight because this is a brave young chap under a lot of pressure. I, I I'm feeling poo poo croc today. I went up this morning after three hands and managed to get underneath them, but could not get nearer than three thousand feet owing to my engine. I'm spending remainder of the day trying to get it right. Remember that mechanical bent of his? You asked me to let the devils have it when I fight. Yes, I always let them have it, have all I can. But really, I don't think them devils. I only scrap because it is my duty. But I do not, I do not think anything bad about the Hun. He is just a good chap with very little guts, trying to do his best. Nothing makes me more feel more rotten than to see them go down. But you, you see, it's either them or me. So I must do my best to make it a case of them. Mm. Now... Compared to the infantry, the casualties are slight, Pete, but in a small unit, and we've said this previously, a casualty a day would soon wipe out the original personnel of a squadron. And although squadrons were ceaselessly regenerated by replacements, it didn't require much perception to work out that the odds of surviving a prolonged tour of duty were minimal, frankly. Now, yeah, I suppose so. you're, you're going to go on to say for Albert Ball, 
Yep, yep. Uh, this is this is quite an interesting one. Uh, it th- th- directly uh, addresses those points those points you made. This is what Ball says. Really, one only just uh, what well, really one has only just time to button up one's tunic. I'm having a poo-poo time, but most interesting. On the sixth, three topping chaps went off and never returned. Yesterday, four of my best pals went off, and today one of our new chaps has gone over. So you can guess we're always having to get used to new faces. Yesterday I was up at 5am, and during the day had 12 flights. But at last, nature is asking to have its own way. However, I'm not done yet. I shall get at them again soon. What do you think that, what's, what's that showing, Gary? Well, it's starting to show he's suffering from the strain. But also, if you've got that many replacements coming into a unit, you're not going to want to get to know them. You're going to keep a distance because it's it's starting to hurt him. He's starting to notice his his comrades and his chums are, are not coming back. Um, so what now, does he do? Well, he <laughs> although he'd recently had a period of leave, it, he, he does something quite unusual. He puts in a direct request to his squadron leader for more rest. Now... This is bold in the extreme. And Brigadier I'm, General... I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they treat him with the kindness and consideration that one of their foremost aces deserves. Oh, absolutely. Brigadier General uh, J.F.A. Higgins, commanding 3rd Brigade, could not grant the request. Now, uh, it, would inve- it says it would inevitably set a dangerous precedent if every exhausted pilot could take rest as they pleased. Well, that's true, isn't it? Let, let's not let's it's not beat true, about the but bush. I mean, as you say, this is one of their high-performing pilots. He's clearly starting to show um, some physical strain, and and they're not prepared to let him rest. I, I think it's madness. Now, um, the next quote, Pete, is uh, again. It's Albert Ball, and you're going to 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 read that one for us. I am. Here we go. The day before yesterday, we had a big day. At night, I was feeling very rotten, and my nerves were poo-poo. Naturally, I cannot keep on going, keep on forever. So at night, I went to see the CO and asked him if I could take a short rest and not fly for a few days. He said he would do his best. What has taken place has been that I have been sent to number eight squadron, back on the B2Cs. Oh, I'm feeling in the dumps. Very restful. So what has he done? He's... He's not only not got a rest, but he's been taken off his lovely Newport Scout and sent back to the dreaded B-2Cs. So our best fighter pilot, so at the time, I think it's fair to say, our best acknowledged fighter pilot, is as a punishment, has been sent to a death trap. Yeah, and throughout early August, 2nd Lieutenant Albert Ball serves his penance uh, on punishment posting with the 8th Squadron. Now, from a modern perspective, it seems that Brigadier General Higgins was cutting off his, his nose to spite his face. Ball had asked for a rest and instead had been condemned, maybe that's the right word, to a return to flying B-2Cs. The RFC had lost the service of one of their very best and most inspirational scout pilots and put him in a role where he faced as much risk without employing his talents. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love the the military. They they are a wonderful thing. In reality, you know, Higgins might well have hit the right course of action because Ball un- 
undoubtedly found the regular routine of artillery observation and bombing flights far less stressful than the pell mill life of a scout pilot, and he's able to recover much of his early zest for the fray. Yeah, uh, well, it's noticeable. Uh, he plays a full part in the day-to-day work of 8th Squadron, uh, but uh, really, I think it's fair to say he's not as other B2C pilots as he <laughs> No. He's... Uh, He's always looking for a bit of adventure, excitement. Um, and, and uh, well, that, there's a couple of things he does. On one occasion, he volunteers to land a spy <laughs> to the other side of German lands. Lines, not lands. Like, well, they are German lands at the time. But, yeah. Anyway, uh, and you're going to... Uh, no, I'm going to read this. Uh, and I, I quite like this. So here we go. It's tempting to do a blood knock voice, but it is amazing. We got over the lines, and after a few seconds, three Fockers came after us. We had no gun, for the machine could not carry his luggage, etc., and guns. So we had to dodge the beasts. At last it was so dark they couldn't see us, so they went down. The Archie guns started. Also, rockets were sent up to try and set us on fire. Oh, it was nice. I really did think that the end had come. The planes were lit up with the flashes. That's his wings. However, at last we found a landing place and we started down. Naturally, everything had to be done quickly or we should have been caught. But we got down. Picture my temper when we landed. The damned spy would not get out. The Fockers had frightened him and he wouldn't risk it. Ah, There's nothing to do but get off again before the Hun came along and stopped us. So off we went. I went down three times again after this, but the, the rotter refused to do his part, so he had to return. I, I love the idea of Ball, with this bloke who's lost his nerve, landing three times behind enemy lines. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I'd have physically thrown him out. Yeah, um... Uh, I mean, he must have been in a state of abject terror with this lunatic pilot going, go on in, go on in, get out, get out, get out now. All right, get out now then, get out now. Now, he also uses his BU-2C to launch an attack on a pair of observation balloons. The German, you know, and we've mentioned the gr- the the flaming onions, the, the green onions, the, the giant sausages, all these things. Um, they were often called sausage balloons. and And this is what Ball says. On Wednesday, August 9th, I attacked a balloon with a BE and forced the observer to jump out. Not his observer, although his observer probably <laughs> felt like jumping out. The balloon observer. On the way back from this job, my main spa and wing tip was crashed. But we got back to the aerodrome. I could t- Can you imagine? Who am I flying with today? Oh, Albert. Oh, no. Now it's at this point he gets his his wish and he's returned to 11th Squadron. I should think that 8th Squadron had quite a lot to do with that. Uh, And he returns on the 14th of August. His experience of air fighting has been broadened considerably, but it's not immediately apparent that uh, he'd not... Sorry, it, it is immediately apparent that he's not abandoned his attacking philosophy one iota. And you're going to be Albert Ball again, aren't you, Pete? What does he say? He says, you, you'll be surprised to hear that I have started with luck. I went up this morning and attacked five Hun machines. One I got and two I forced down. After this, I had to run. <laughs> God, for all, all my ammunition was used. However, I got back okay with only two hits on my machine. Now, by now you should be getting an... Uh, just started to get the idea 
that he'll attack any number of planes and his aircraft doesn't come back unmarked in these battles. We'll, we'll come back to this. Uh, so, so what's he doing now then? Well, he, he immediately resumes his, his former career, Pete. He's flying his Newport in ceaseless patrols across the German lines. And as you rightly say, he's seeking out trouble wherever he could find it. Now, he becomes the uh, epitome of Trenchard's offensive spirit that no odds were too great for him to uh, cock a snoot at. And on the 22nd of August, he takes up uh, it takes off as an escort to an FE-2B bombing mission. Uh, now, it's during this mission, he runs into a large formation of German aircraft. And uh, what does he say, Pete? Well, this is an amazing account, isn't it? Met 12 Huns. Number one fight. I, I attacked and fired two drums, bringing the machine down just outside the village. All crashed up. A number two fight. I attacked and, and got under the machine, put it in two drums. Hun went down in flames. Number three flight, I attacked to put in one drum. Machine went down and crashed on a housetop. All these fights were seen and reported by other machines that saw them go down. I only got hit 11 times on the planes, so I returned and got more ammunition. Uh, this time, luck was not all on the spot. I was met by about 14 Huns about 15 miles over their side. My windscreen was hit in four places, mirror broken, the spar of the left plane broken. Also, engine ran out of petrol. But I had good sport and good luck, but only just for I was brought down about one mile over our side. So he'd run out of petrol and just drifted back, glided back. Um, now, he's right. He, he's phenomenally lucky there, Pete, isn't he? He is, but there's two things I noticed. The first thing I'll, I'll mention, because it's just in my head, you notice he's shooting aircraft down with two drums, that is, two times 47, as opposed to 120 rounds. No, it's one more than shoots, that. It's 97. Um, no, yeah, yeah, two times 47. Oh, two times 47. If it's a, a twin pan drum, it holds 97 rounds. Did, he didn't have a twin drum then. Oh, okay. They, they don't come out yet. Oh, dear, I wish you'd read the notes. They come out later on. but two, So he's shooting people down with about 95, 94. You've <laughs> <laughs> made one me of them, feel a lot better, Pete. Thanks for that. And what, uh, I just thought I'd help you there. And one of them, he shoots down with just one drum, i.e. 47 rounds. You're, not, you're going to hear a lot of this 47, I think. Uh, so it, it, that, that's one thing. It, for, remember that first account where he takes 120 rounds to yeah. shoot down? Yeah. Uh, now he's just shooting down people with a few rounds. But there's something else that's apparent from this account. What is that? What is it? What else is there about Ball? As I said, he's phenomenally lucky. He seemingly can fly into a howl of bullets time and time again, and he emerges with his aircraft absolutely shot to pieces, but he is unscathed. And now, it doesn't fall out the sky. It I doesn't. Mean, it... Uh, now, luck's difficult to quantify objectively, but there's no doubt that whatever it was, he had it. I mean, even the even the comment about running out of fuel, Peter, you know, run out of petrol. <laughs> that's the last thing you want to happen in the middle of a dogfight. It is. Now, uh, by this time, it's become apparent. Uh, people at, like Trenchard at RFC headquarters, he's in charge of the RFC in the, uh, in the Western Front, 
the, the day of the multifunction squadrons gone, 11 squadrons shown the way. And, and it was obvious. What, what are the advantages? Again, this is something from your contract background. What are the advantages of having aircraft of all the same type? So whether it be BO2Cs or Newport Scouts or, or Bristol Scouts or Sausage Scouts, what is the advantage of having them all the same? Well, for one thing, uh, <laughs> all the mechanics are working on the same aircraft, so they get to know the aircraft. All the spares that you need are the same, uh, so you haven't got to have a mix and match. All the pilots are, are, are appropriately planed, uh, trained for that aircraft, so they haven't got to mix and match and change from one, one day and another. And let's not forget, some of those aircraft were very different in how they were structured and where the, the machine gun was placed, for example. So uh, there were great advantages to having the same aircraft. So they they're gradually forming more. Uh, well, they 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 they're forming more scout squadrons as scout squadrons, and uh, on twenty fourth of August, as part of the reorganisation, Albert Ball leaves his squadron, uh, eight squadron, uh, eleven squadron. Sorry, I'm, I'm, which squadron is he? He's eleven squadron. Then he went back yeah. to the eleventh squadron. Yeah, uh, he goes back and he, he's put in 60 Squadron, uh, a very famous squadron it becomes later on, partly due to him, of course. And he's made a flight, he's given he's given a command of a flight. Uh, he's a lieutenant by this time. Um, and, and what started to happen? What are people starting to think? People in his new squadron, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? They're thinking, can I duplicate his success? Can I use Ball's methods? Uh, now, Ball sums up his methods. What, what does he say? When I get to close quarters, I generally pretend that I'm going to attack from above. The Hun gets ready to fire up at me as I pass over, and then I suddenly dive under his machine. And if I'm lucky, I empty a drum into his petrol tank, and down he goes. Now, you, refer, you referred to this in a podcast the other day, Pete, as the balls up. Yeah, people jokingly did because he'd fly underneath, just pull his gun down, and 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 just fire along. Now, this is a. Do you think this is a tactic that other pilots can do? No, I mean it's it's developed uh, perfectly adjusted to him and the Newport, frankly. But it's individualized tactics, and it's beyond duplication by pilots who lack his skills and, frankly, let's face it, suicidal bravery. And this is Lieutenant Roderick Hill, who was serving with him in 60 Squadron. And he's talking about Ball's tactics. To surprise his enemy, he made clever use of the Lewis gun, mounted on the Newport Scout. There was a curved rail down, which, uh, which the gun had to run to change drums. By exerting pressure on one side of the stock of the gun, he held it rigid when nearly down and pointing upwards about 80 degrees. By a skillful manoeuvre, and, and incidentally by pluck and determination, he was able to zoom up beneath his intended victim. Then, by a slight oscillation of the control stick to cause his gun to rake the target fore and aft at a range of 30 feet or so. I found that my own efforts to emulate Ball in reaching a favourable position beneath a, a Hun so irritated it that a melee ensued in which I soon lost any idea of, of what was underneath, what was its underneath and what was its top. To say that Ball fought with his head is almost superfluous. He was evidently the offspring of a vixen and a lion. 
<laughs> Sorry, a bit of trembling there. He would sight a formation of as many as 12 fans afar off, would rise into the sun, fly above them and fire off a burst or two. This would invariably shake the formation's nerve and cause it to open slightly. One pilot, a little more nervous or less disciplined than the rest, would, would lose his station. In a flash, ball would be on him, and almost as soon uh, the deadly shooting would send him up in flames. Wow. Wow. Uh, uh, it's, uh, he, he, they couldn't copy him, could they? No. I mean, it's, Ball's willingness to attack large formations wasn't unique, but the sheer ferocity of his approach seemed to intimidate the German pilots, and many uh, would be lacking in experience and uh, themselves, and, and the berserker approach undoubtedly bred confusion amongst them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you mentioned it earlier. If if you're not that experienced and you've got Albert Ball coming after you, you're in trouble. Absolutely. Um, now, so so what is he? He's a skillful pilot. I think that he must be. Uh, notice that uh, the other bloke couldn't. Uh, Roderick Hill couldn't copy what he did. He's a brilliant marksman. I think uh, he's brave. Who conquers his natural fears. Um, that they, they, they really only emerge in his letters home. It, it's not as if he sat in his in the mess trembling, is it? Um, he he relies on his luck, doesn't he? As you said, um, yeah. But it's it rather oddly he's confident in that luck, Peter. Yeah, he's he's at, you know he's confident that he's going to be lucky. He had to be fighting the way he did. Do, do, do you not think? Do you not think it's only a matter of time? Before he's killed, well, it has to be because you know we've again we've said it in a previous podcast, um, <laughs> the Rick Toffin podcast, I think it was. When when a bullet strikes an aircraft, it can strike anywhere in that aircraft. It could strike the fuel tank, for example. So it is. It's he's getting hit regularly. It's a matter of time. But for the moment, he's going from victory to victory. Uh, he's he's given some leave at home, comes back to France on 11th of September. Uh, by this time, he's been honoured, hasn't he? What's he got by this time? Yeah, he's been awarded the DSO and bar to join his uh, MC. He's and, he's and he's commanding a flight of 60 Squadron. Now, do you think he was a conscientious flight commander? Well, he, he certainly performs the duties con uh, consciously put my teeth in Consci conscientiously uh, of, of the flight uh, flight commander but he continues <laughs> to fly Pete I'm uh, glad you could say fly yeah I, that's the only word I can three any more than three letters one two three lots I'm in trouble now he continues to fly as many additional solo offensive patrols as possible and on the 15th of September he went up on several missions and had a brisk uh, encounter with five Roland two-seaters. Now, why, 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 why is the fifteenth September? Why is he so busy on that day? What could be happening? I don't know, Pete. It's uh, a party do down below. Bit of a party. The Battle of Flares Curselet. Yep, that's it. That's what's going on. And and uh, we always want to remind people: the air war hots up when the ground war hots up. Anyway, you're going to say what uh, what Lieutenant Albert Ball experiences at on the fifteenth of September. Five Rolands seen over Belpam in formation. Newport dived and fired rockets in order to break up the formation. Formation was lost at once. Newport chased the nearest machine and got under it, firing one drum at 20 yards. Hostile aircraft went down quite out of control and crashed northeast of Bertincourt. 
Now, these are taken not from his letters. When, when it's uh, in this strange, uh, impersonal thing, it's, it's a, a, a combat report. Yeah, because uh, the Newport he's referring to is him. Yeah, that's him. Uh, now, uh, he'd been on patrol intending to attack German observation balloons. Uh, and uh, he, 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 he got an, he's developed an alternative use for... Uh, he's got incendiary Le Prieur rockets. That, now, they're attached to his wing struts. And so what does he... And they, you fire them by means of an electric contact, electric switch. It zoops electricity along the wires and fires the rockets. Whoosh! Forward of the plane. What, how does he fire? What, how does he fire? They're for the balloons. But how does he use them? Well, he uses them to uh, uh, disrupt the German formations over the, the following few weeks. So he just fires it into the formation. He's got no, no hope of hitting anything with it, but it, it just gives them a bit of a fright and forces them to separate. Now, so we're now, despite all the odds, I think I'm going to say there, fighting's boiling up in September, late September, but he's still alive, isn't he? He's still alive, he's still in the skies, and he's still causing mayhem. Uh, by this time, he's in a Newport 17, I think. Uh, uh, now, what, what, what have the Germans got? What, what's the problem here? What have the Germans got? Well, he was up in, in behaving conscientiously. No, no, no. In what, his what, Newport what? 17. No, I'm just, I'm just showing you I can use the word conscientiously, Pete. But the Germans... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gary, sometimes you just want to show your better side. Yeah. <laughs> now, the problem is his Newport 17 is not as fast or powerfully armed as the Albatross D1. So this is the, uh, the, the, the Albatross Scout. And... Uh, uh, but it, it did turn in a tighter turning circle and it, and it was more agile in close combat. But that's it. So the new ports clearly, therefore, inferior. But it can hold its own just about. It's not like the DH2, which is utterly outclassed. It, 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 it's, it's got more than a tight turning circle. It's more agile. It's, it's faster. It's, it's just better. But the Albatross is still clear. Uh, and especially in uh, the hands of someone like Ball, I suppose you'd say. Yeah, yeah. skilled uh, pilot could could do a, a lot with it. Yeah. Now uh, some more combat reports. Twenty uh, first uh, of September, he runs into six Roland Roland Scouts this time, and uh, you're going to read this one. Hostile aircraft H A. Let's call it H A from now on, uh, if that's all right. But that's what it means. Hostile. Well, he aircraft. certainly does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, seen north of Bay Palm in formation. Newport dived and fired rockets. Formation was lost. Newport got underneath nearest machine and fired a drum. HA dived and landed near railway. Newport then attacked another machine and fired two drums from underneath. HA went down and was seen to crash at side of railway. After this, the rest of the HA followed Newport towards the lines. Newport turned and fired remainder of ammunition, after which it returned to aerodrome for more. Second machine was seen to crash by Lieutenant Waters. Uh, in combat reports, he'll always try and uh, uh, give a sign, you know, to, when he's claiming kills, uh, he needs uh, corroboration. Uh, two days later, on 23rd of September, he's back in the thick of it, isn't he? Uh, and this time he's carrying a new Buckingham uh, tracer ammunition, tracer incendiary ammunition. That's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's for shooting balloons down, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. He says... Four Rolands were seen coming from Cambrai towards Moray. Newport got behind them and fired a drum at 30 yards range. This made them separate. Newport then made for the nearest machine and got underneath it, firing one drum. This drum had no effect on the HA, for Newport could not get near enough. 
Newport then made for another and succeeded in getting within 15 yards underneath, at which range 90 rounds of 1 in 3 Buckingham were fired. HA was on fire before 15 rounds were fired, but it was observed to go out before crashing on the ground near Moorie. The remainder of the HA surrounded the Newport after this, for it had no ammunition. Newport only got 13 hits on its planes. As you say, it could be anywhere, couldn't it? In that, it uh, That's the wings, but it could have been anywhere. Now, uh, 25th of September, two couple of days later, uh, there's, a, there's a, another, uh, well, I, I refer to it in the book as a splendid tussle, uh, with a, just a one German two-seater, and it must have been a brilliant crew, mustn't it? It must have been. Now, his usual tactics are thwarted by the skill of these German pilots, and he couldn't get close. This, this German pilot? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I do apologise. Oh, sorry, by the German pilot, yes. And he couldn't get close to the usual deadly range. And these are the first reports he signed following his promotion to captain, aren't they, Pete? And you, you're going to be uh, Captain Albert Ball now. Did, did you get promoted this quick? So that's uh, three promotions, best part of a year, no? I'll carry on. We kept on firing until we had used up all our ammunition. Again, this is uh, we is him. Uh, there was nothing more to be done after that, so we both burst out laughing. We couldn't help it. It was so ridiculous. Now, I've made a mistake there. The we is actually that pilot and the uh, the gunner of the German two-seater. Uh, so I'm an idiot. Uh, we couldn't have it. It was so ridiculous. We flew side by side, laughing at each other for a few seconds. And then we waved adieu to each other and went off. He was a real sport, that hun. Yes. A lot of problem with how many there were with that whole incident. Uh, now, the same day, the same day, what, what happens the same day? Well, he's, he has another desperate tussle. And this, this stage, he's using a Lewis gun fitted with the newly issue, issued double drums of ammunition. Now, a lot of people think that there would be two times uh, 47. That would be uh, 94, 94 rounds. No, these were pan magazines, Pete, and they held 97 rounds. Yes. <laughs> now this is uh, Albert Ball. Same day as the previous thing. C- can you have any idea of the tension? So pilots sort of take off, land, take off, land. so they're completely safe on the ground. Well, if they're lucky, they take off and land. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, but they're completely safe, or they're in the most desperate danger. And this is Newport. Uh, this is not Newport. <laughs> this is Captain Albert. This is going well today, Pete. It's, everything's going perfectly, isn't it? Newport could not see any HA over Papom at a, at a reasonable height, so he went along the Cambrai Road. After being there for a few minutes, two formations came along. Newport attacked the first. The HA ran with noses down. But when another formation came near, it turned towards the Newport. Newport fired one drum to scatter formation, after which it turned to change drums. One of the drums dropped onto the <laughs> into the rudder control. And for a few seconds, Newport was out of control. Newport succeeded in getting drum on gun and attacked an albatross, which was then flying at its side. Newport fired 90 rounds of one in three Buckingham at about 15 yards range underneath HA. HA went down, quite out of control, and crashed. The remainder of HA followed Newport, but in the end left. 
In order to keep them off at, at safe range, Newport kept turning towards them. Each time this was done, H.A. made off with their noses down. Wow, what a, what a, what a scrap that was. Um, mm. Now, towards the end of September, he's uh, become aware that the risks he's taken in combat had moved from the intrepid through to rash and then, frankly, suicidal. But he, he has to carry on fighting, doesn't he, Pete? And some of the sights he's, that he sees seems to have a, a affected him quite deeply. And well, this, this is one, isn't it? It's, uh, uh, this is uh, from a letter. Uh, you can tell the personal turn. And he says this. She was a two-seater, and I fired five rounds into her. She burst into flames and fell upside down. Although she dropped like a stone. I saw her observer climb out of his seat and jump clear of the flames. He must have preferred that kind of death to the chance of being roasted. And, uh, wow, that's quite a quote, isn't it? Now, he's tortured, isn't he, Pete? At least to some extent, by the knowledge of the the murderous nature of his trade. And uh, this quote you're going to read, and and I think um, it's quite telling about his state of mind at the time. It is. I... uh, I feel so sorry for the chaps I have killed. Just imagine what their poor people must feel like. However, it must be done or they would kill me. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, he's not a murderous type, really, in, in the sense. He's uh, he's fighting in the cause of his country and he's doing what has to be done. That's, but uh, what, what do you think's happening to him uh, as we move into this phase, late September and into October? Well, late September. His nerves are, are, are stretching ever tighter, aren't they? And he's exhausted. And in short, he's suffering, not surprisingly, from combat fatigue, Pete, isn't he? Wouldn't have known what it was at the time, uh, like PTA, P- post-traumatic stress disorder. It's not terms of the time, uh, not lack of moral fibre. That's a Second World War. He, he just, his nerves are just a bit stretched. Does he? Uh, does that affect uh, his performance? Uh, his last flight, first uh, of October, is his last flight. Uh, how, how, th- th- is he performing badly? Do you think? No, I mean he, he. He again. He's asked his squadron leader, Major Smith Barry, if he could go home, and and it's treated with due respect and it's approved. But as you say, on the first of October, it's his life, last active. Uh, sorry, his last flight, and he's as active as ever, and it results in three more claims. Now, uh, claims are quite interesting, aren't they? Um, uh, by this time, how many has he claimed? Well, he's got some 31 victories and, uh, you know, by the standards then prevailing in the RSC. So I, I queried this yesterday, Pete. I'm going to query it again. I don't understand what that phrase means. Well, what it is is that it's not an accurate business claims, uh, especially at this phase in the war. Uh, at this point, the RFC would allow a claim for an aircraft that was forced to land, especially earlier in, in the thing. So it, it doesn't have to be shot down. It just has to be forced down, that kind of thing. But there's another reason, just to put it very briefly, if you could imagine uh, you're in combat with several German aircraft and you shoot you hit one and it starts to flutter down or a bit of smoke comes out of it, you're being attacked by, say, four more or five more aircraft. Do you watch the first aircraft to make sure it goes down? Or do you just have a guess at what happens to it? What would you do? Well, you have a guess. And and again, in other podcasts, we talked about other scout pilots who uh, had the mantra of not following a stricken aircraft down to make sure that that, uh, it had crashed. Uh, 
because you know the lower you go the, the more that you come into contact with troops on the ground that can shoot and things like that so if it's if it's on fire it's going down it's smoking you assume that uh, it's a victory and the other thing is to remember is with ball especially he's normally on his he flies his flights with his with his uh, with his uh his flight, sorry, it's a bit confusing, but he does do his normal patrols, but he does a lot of solo work. And if you're solo work, there's no one else to see it. There's no one else to do it. And also, there's no one to protect your tail. Now, later on in 1917, they'll develop their flying formations a lot more. Uh, they, 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 they try to crash into the Germans and shoot them all down. But when you're on your own against 4, 5, 10, 12, 15 aircraft, you don't have time. There's nothing you can do to, to make sure. So the 31 victories, they're sort of real, but would you bet on each one being that one? No. Um, they're, they're an estimate more than anything else. Is that, uh, does that mean we don't respect his achievement? Not at all. Um, you know, he, he was at that time certainly the leading British ace. And as we've said on a number of occasions, he was unique. You know, nobody else could do what he was doing. But he's inspirational to others. What do you think gets inspirational about him? It's not, you've, you've explained, it's not his fighting technique. Is it, it's his courage. and It, it begs the question why the, uh, the powers that be, for want of a better word, didn't use him differently and, and remove him from the dangers that he was clearly suffering from and, and use him in some sort of propaganda role or back at home or training. And, and you know, we've, we've said this about a number of scout pilots. They want to, they miss being in the mix of it when they're out of it. Um, it, it I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about ball again in the future, but at this point in time, you know, he's he is, safe. He's safe. Yes. So he goes back to England, he's on a training roll, but he comes back out again in April 1917. I wonder how he'll fare then. I wonder why the date of 7th of May, your birthday, would be so important to him. What, what could be going to happen? Well, we're going to have to wait and see. You're going to have to remember that date longer. I do apologise, Pete. I'm going to give these teeth back to the horse now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're clearly not for, for talking. They're for chewing. Um, so... Uh, I've enjoyed today, Pete. It's an exciting podcast. And you've got to bear in mind the context of it happening above the Somme battle. You know, uh, in in terms of historical context, it's, it's an amazing period of time. I agree. Thank you very much, Gary. Cheers, Pete. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com.pgmh or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?